week two, we're on the Sermon of the Mount, understanding what Jesus wants his followers to be and do. Uh, and what we're going to be having here over the next several weeks is we'll have, a, this is basically our title, and then we'll have a section title for what we're going to be focusing in on this week. And basically, this week's section title is A Christian's Character. We're going to be in Matthew 5, 3 through 12, and this is what it says. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when, you, uh, when others revile you and persecute you and all other, other kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Obviously, for most of us, we know this is the section that we call the Beatitudes. This is, this is basically, if you translate that, it basically means the blessings, okay? And this is how Jesus begins his sermon. He begins it by giving us these blessings. And what we begin to see here is this concept of seeing a, 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 a situation and then a blessing or a promise that goes into it. So before we really dive into these eight things, we're going to first talk about some questions. We need to ask these questions as kind of an introductory to these things. So we're going to look at three questions that need to be answered about these. Number one, who are the people described? Okay, who are these people? Because you see this and you're going, oh my goodness, this is hard. This is tough. Look, here's the thing you need to understand. This is describing Christians. This is describing followers of Christ. Now, here's what becomes even more amazing about this. This is not describing basically a certain thing you should have. It's not basically saying you should be meek, but that's it. Like, you can't pick and choose here. You can't look at things and go, okay, I'm meek, I'm good at that, so I'll do that. But I don't have to be poor in spirit, or I don't have to uh, thirst and hunger after righteousness. That's not what Jesus is saying. This is all of it, okay? So he's basically saying this, if you follow me, if you're going to follow me, these are the things that are going to need to be a part of your life. They're going to be need to be the things that are characteristics of your character. And so that's what he starts to look at. Number two, are these qualities commended a physical or a spiritual state? Now, this is one of those things that can become a little bit confusing. I remember when I was in Bible college, I, I met this girl and I've talked about her very briefly before, but, but as she came from a very wealthy family and and but but she she would not she felt like that was wrong she felt like that was not a good thing to have money and and i and she she dealt with that a lot and she would she would and there's nothing wrong with this if you do this but she would she would cut her own hair and she would kind of not take care of certain things so she didn't want people to know that she came from money and I remember talking to her once and going I, I don't understand and, and she said well have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount and I'm like well sure and he said well Jesus talks about the poor and that's what we should be this is not necessarily talking about our physical state this is talking about our spiritual state okay we need to understand that okay It's nothing saying that that having money is wrong or being poor is right or whatever. These are spiritual things that God wants to be a part of our character, okay? So this is a spiritual state of mind, if that makes sense, not necessarily a physical state of mind. And the final thing, 
are the blessings promised for the present or the future? Okay, this is one of those trick questions, I guess, because the answer is both. Okay, the answer is both. These blessings that are attached with these things are things that God wants to bring apart as far as our present and our future. It says basically there is in certain aspects, you know, if you do this, there is this. And then there are also instances where Jesus says shall be. So he's talking about things that God wants to do in our lives today, but also things that will happen later. Sometimes we get that confused. We think, okay, I'm doing this. I should see this. And when I don't see this immediately, God somehow has let me down. There are going to be times in our lives where God's promises are yes and amen, but they're not always on your timetable and when you think they should come about. So Jesus here is saying, listen, I want you to be this way. This is a part of your character. This is a part of who you should be. But you need to understand the promises that are attached to it. You may not see it immediately. It may come later on. Okay? So these promises are good. They're true but they sometimes happen a little bit later, okay? So let's jump into this. We're going to look at these uh, in, in, in each one separately, but we need to understand the first four kind of have a, a certain feel and the second four have a different kind of feel. And that basically is where we're going in our notes, okay? Basically, the second point here is, is this is the first four is a Christian's connection to God. Okay? This is how we relate to God. This is how we deal with certain situations. But this is focusing in our, our connection with God. Okay, So let's look at the first one. In Matthew 5, 3, it's basically the poor in spirit. And this is what Jesus says. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, to be poor in spirit is to acknowledge our spiritual bankruptcy before God. We need to understand that. We need to understand that we don't have anything, okay? Jesus uses this wording on purpose, okay? So let's look at it. Let's kind of unpack it together. He uses this idea of saying the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. Now, if someone is poor, what does that mean? It means that if we understand that in a physical sense, they have very little to offer. They do not have a lot. They are poor. They do not have those things. What what did the poor do? And remember, we have to also kind of put ourselves in the idea of the hearer, okay? Who is Jesus talking to? So they understood the idea of poor. Okay, listen, we don't necessarily understand the idea of poor in this country. Our poor are doing sometimes fairly well, comparatively speaking. So when Jesus is talking about poor here, he is talking about people that are sitting out by the city gate who have nothing, that are begging for food and begging for, for basically the ability to continue to live. Okay? And so Jesus says, listen, blessed are you that are poor in spirit, that have nothing, because when you have nothing, I will give you the kingdom of heaven. Which is interesting here, because here's the thing. A poor person is a situation that they are begging They need to beg to survive. They need to say, I cannot do what I need done, so I need someone else to come and do something that I can't do for myself. Spiritually speaking, that's us. Spiritually speaking, we can have this desire to allow God... We want to save ourselves. We want to help ourselves. We want to do all these things. But really, we can't. We need a Savior. We need God to come. And Jesus here is expressing that to us. Listen, if we try to be rich in spirit, we're never going to be truly able to accept the gift that God has given us. 
This gift of Jesus, this gift of saying, listen, we can't fix our state. We've got to let him do it. And so Jesus here begins it by basically saying, listen, unless you understand that you are spiritually bankrupt without me, you're going to have issues accepting things. You ever, you ever met somebody and you're talking to them and, and you're talking about Jesus and you're kind of sharing it and they just, it's almost like they don't feel like they need that. You ever met somebody that, that, that they don't and then things begin to happen and things, and, and there becomes a need deep, deep inside of them. They understand they can't fix themselves and that's when they become very, very open to what God desires to do in them. It's like Jesus is sharing that. He's saying, listen, you need to be open to the fact that I want to do something great in you and I want to change you from the inside out. But here's the thing. If we think we can change ourselves, if we think we can fix ourselves, we have a very hard time as human beings going to a God and allowing him to fix us. So Jesus begins it by explaining that and saying, listen, we need to understand that, that we need to be able to go to him because we have nothing to offer. We have nothing that's going to be able to get us where we need to go. We need him. And so when we start in a place of spiritual, you know, uh, being poor in spirit, it allows God to come in and begin to do something and change us. And when that happens, we get the kingdom of heaven and we get it Right now, notice it says, for theirs is. It begins today when we understand that. And that's a beautiful, amazing thing. Next, he moves on to those who mourn. Let's look at Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, here's the thing. We usually look at this and we think of mourning in a physical state. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus didn't use that or want us to use this as a comforting thing, okay? I've been to funerals, and and I've heard this scripture said. But remember here, Jesus' main focus is spiritual, okay? So when do we mourn in a spiritual sense? Jesus here does not speak of casual sorrow for the consequences of our sin, which would, of course, be death, but a deep grief before God over our fallen state. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever grieved because of your separation from God? You ever, you ever got to a place where you're just so upset because of the separation that you and God have? You see, sin separates. Sin does that in our lives. But have you ever mourned about it? Has it ever been something that you've looked at and gone, oh my goodness, I can't believe this has happened. Let's look at 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says this, For the kind of sorrow or mourning God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So there's this concept here of, of sometimes God will bring that mourning and bring that hurt because of what he wants to lead us to. It's not this, this sorrow and this pain, this is not a destination, but it's literally something that is leading us to something else, a closer walk with him, salvation in him. And we need to embrace that mourning, not because it's fun, not because it's like something we look at, but because of what it's leading us to and what it should do. I want you to think about something. We do this a lot. We have to kind of understand this. But, but you ever messed up? Okay, everybody, good. Moving on. Okay, we all have. Okay? 
Now, let's be honest, okay? You can keep this amongst yourselves and not tell anybody, even though I think I got a feeling I know what everybody's answer is going to be. But there are probably people in our lives that we have hurt, and, and, and well, yeah, we're, we're not real thrilled that we hurt them, but we're not losing any sleep over it, okay? And then there are others who we have hurt, and we literally mourn over it. It is literally painful for us. Now, what is the difference between the person that we're not so concerned about, to be honest, and the person that we are? I would argue that the majority of the mourning can be looked at when we hurt other people by the amount of love that we have towards the person that we hurt. Let me give you an example, okay? If I hurt the uh, person that's checking me out at Target, for say, you know, I say something rude or mean, and it hurts their feelings or something, I'm probably, I might walk out and go, well, that wasn't a very nice thing to do. But I'll honestly, by the time I got to my car, I'd probably be over it and be moving on. But if I did the same thing or said something similar to my wife or to my son, or to someone else that I had a deep, close relationship with, I guarantee you it would cause me more pain. Sometimes, and this is going to sound weird, and I want you to follow me here, but I think sometimes we can see our deep love for Jesus by how much it hurts us when we disobey him. Do you get what I'm saying here? Okay. I I want you to understand this, that that basically there are some warnings in our lives that, that are good because they draw us closer. And here's the thing. When I've hurt my wife, when I've hurt my son, when I've hurt one of you guys, somebody that I care a lot about, I want to redeem that relationship. I want to do what I need to do to bring it back to where it needs to be and allow that reconciliation to take place. I have never, I wish I could say this, I've never gone back into Target after messing up and gone to the stranger and gone, you know, listen, I was having a really bad day, and I know that's not really a good excuse. I treated you poorly, and I'm sorry. But I sure have gone to my family or or my wife or my kid and said, oh my goodness, I am so sorry. There was a pain there. There was a hurt there that needed to be fixed. Sometimes God allows that mourning in our lives because he wants us to go back to our Savior, go back to our Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus, I messed up. I'm sorry. And Jesus is good and he comes and he forgives us and we move on and we grow. But he understands that and he says, listen, when we mourn like that as Christians, when we understand this deep grief that we have over our mess ups and our fallen state, he loves to comfort us. He loves to put his arms around us. Think of the the story of the prodigal where the father comes and he embraces his son. He desires to do that for us and with us. But if we never mourn, if we always look at it as I'm fine or I'm good or I didn't do that or I don't take responsibility for my actions, we can miss that moment where our Jesus comes and he puts his arms around us and he says, man, I got you. I love you. I comfort you. You're mine, even in your mess ups, even in your mess ups. Next, we look at the meek. Matthew 5, 5. It says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Now, and this is in your notes and you need to understand this. We've talked about this before. It says, in the vocabulary of the ancient Greek language, The meek person was not passive or easily pushed around. The main idea behind the word meek was strength under control. 
Strength under control. You've heard me say this um, before because this has kind of always been my idea of meekness. Is And, and this is kind of how I, I've always kind of looked at what it is to be a man and, and things like that, a Christian man. And that is to be steel wrapped in velvet. Soft to the touch, but firm and strong. And I look at how I want to be as a husband, as a father. I want to be steel wrapped in velvet. I want to be meek. I want to be strong under control. This is important because a lot of times we're strong without control or we're so passive that we're weak. And Jesus here is not saying, hey, listen, I need you as my followers to kind of walk around and go hide in the corner and be real quiet, not do anything and kind of be a wallflower. He's saying, listen, I need you to be strong, but under control. Unfortunately, in our Christian world today, it seems like we kind of have one or the other. We have those that are so strong, they're in your face screaming at you. And then we have others that are so meek and so passive that basically they won't say anything about anything, about any situation. And Jesus here is not saying be meek. He's basically being saying you need to be strong, but be under control with how you understand that. And here's the thing. When that happens, basically they shall inherit the earth. What is awesome about this is this also indicates the fact that we trust God to do and to bring about what we want done. What do powerful people do? Why do people that have power throw their power around? Because they want stuff. They desire things. They want to take control of areas and situations and circumstances. When we allow ourselves to be meek, we're basically saying, God, I trust you to bring about what's going to happen. I trust that you are going to take through my meekness and through my strength under control and still bring about the promises that you have. And Jesus here says, listen, listen, if you're meek, if you will do this, you shall inherit the earth. You will do it. Now, here's the thing. Who owns the earth and everything in it? God. God does. So how do we get it? We trust that God will give it to us when the time is right. Meek people don't, uh, meek people will allow that to happen. People that aren't meek will go and try to take it for themselves before it's time. They'll say, I want that, and they'll grab it. They'll use their power, their control. Look around our world today. You see that all the time. And Christ here is saying, listen, part of a Christian character is this strength under control. It's this meekness that I have and desire for you to have. And the final one under this section is those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Matthew 5, 6. It says, blessed are those who, are, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The words here that Jesus chooses to use is very important. He uses these understanding uh, words that we can, can relate to and, and understand. But he's not sitting here basically saying, listen, for those that have a slight desire, for those that kind of kind of like it. He's talking here about people that thirst and that hunger. In Psalms, it talks about as the deer panted for the water. There's this concept here of, of needing it to survive, literally. Okay, Jesus understands and he's trying to get us to see, listen, you don't have food, you don't have water. What happens to you eventually? You die. And Christ here is saying, that's the type of hunger and desire that I want you to have for my righteousness. That literally without it, you aren't going to make it. You need it that bad. You're even thirsty. I mean, not like kind of thirsty, but like thirsty, thirsty. Most of us really haven't. You ever been hungry like that? 
where you just sit there and, 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 and you're just, oh my goodness. Sometimes, sometimes every uh, beginning of the year we did our, our, our fast. And there were some times where even though I was fine, you know what I mean? Like I was hungry. And my stomach was growling and it was moving and grooving. And I remember just thinking, you know what would be really great right now? A cheeseburger. Oh, a cheeseburger would be so good. Or tacos. Or I'm just, you know, pizza. Whatever type of food you like, that's what I was thinking of. And that was just, I couldn't, it was hard to get my mind off of it. And here's the thing. I was fine. I have just got my body used to eating quite a bit throughout the days. And, and when it wasn't happening, my body began to say, hey, 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 um, I need something. You're missing something and I need it. Can you bring this along? Christ here is wanting us to understand that we should desire his righteousness so much that it becomes something we're focused in on, especially when we don't have it, especially when we've missed it for a little bit of time. And he says, listen, if you will hunger and thirst, you will be satisfied. Now, the satisfied is kind of an interesting thing because it both keeps us, it satisfies us, but it also keeps us longing for more. It's this idea that Jesus is saying, listen, you're going to get what you need in every moment, but you're always going to want more. You're always going to need more. I'm always going to draw you to desire more. He doesn't say filled. In some ways, he says satisfied. Okay? He says, I'm going to satisfy it. And, and, and again, another, I guess a word is filled for it because you see this idea of, of, of understanding. Here's the thing. If you sit down and you eat something and you experience it, sometimes what are you going to say? You say, well, I'm filled. I'm satisfied. But here's what's going to happen. What's going to happen in about six hours? You're going to be hungry again. You're not going to be satisfied at that moment, okay? Jesus is basically saying, listen, I'll satisfy you for the moment. But it's always going to be, there's always going to be a desire for more because God's righteousness is so big and so huge that, you know, we'll, I'll satisfy you today. I'll satisfy you in this moment. But tomorrow you're going to need more and you're going to need to come back to me to get more. And I'll just keep satisfying and keep satisfying. Because this doesn't have a situation where it says, listen, those who hunger and thirst for, are blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied one time, two times, three times, four times. It's basically, it's an on-ending thing. You will always, as you strive for this, as you move that direction, basically I will continue to satisfy. I will continue to do those things. So the first four really talk about our Christian's connection to God. And then Jesus turns the table slightly. And next he looks at a Christian's connection to others. So now he moves on to what others and how we deal with others in situations. Now, these all can be things that we can look at that could be towards others or God. I understand that. But basically this was a simple way to break it down and kind of separate the two. The first one he looks at is the pure in heart. Look at Matthew 5, 8. It says this, blessed... There you go. Thank you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, Jesus here is speaking of inner moral purity as opposed to the image of purity, uh, of, of purity or ceremonial purity. Okay? you got to understand here that Jesus here is not talking about making sure the, necessarily the outside of the cup is clean, but the inside of the cup is clean and taken care of. He talks about this in Matthew 23. In Matthew 23, verses 25 uh, through 29, it says this. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup 
and dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. He continues now in verse 27. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurities. I remember when I was in college, and this was back in the uh, the late 90s, you know, that was a fun time, wasn't it? Um, and I had a guy, and his name was, um, oh my goodness, I know, Brad. Brad was his name. And Brad was, was kind of different looking, okay? Brad was, and this was kind of before the, the tattoos really kind of became more popular and, and things like that. And uh, they were starting at that point, but not what it is today. And, and Brad had a bunch of tattoos on his arm, and Brad wore a, a chain on his, on, his, on his wallet, and he had hair. Uh, the, the, he didn't have a lot of hair, but the hair he had was all stuck up straight like a mohawk and all this sort of stuff. He looked a little strange. I'm not going to lie to you. He looked a little weird, especially at that time. And But here's the thing about Brad. Brad had a heart of gold. I mean, this was one of the most amazing guys. I mean, he was kind of one of those guys that like, you come to him, he's like, hey, how was your day? I was like, oh, I'm fine. Uh, hey, man, I just found out I need a kidney transplant. And he'd be like signing up immediately to give you his. Okay, do you get what I'm saying? This is the type of guy he was. Now, we were at a Bible college that was not really, let's be honest, um, not really open to uh, different. Put it that way. And I remember him coming up to me. We were getting ready to graduate. And he came up to me, and there was tears in his eyes. I said, Brad, man, what's going on? What's up? And he goes, man, I just came from the president of the college's office. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what'd you do? You know? I was like, what what, what happened? And I said, did you do something wrong? He goes, no, he just wanted to talk to me. And I said, well, what happened? And he said... He said, the college president looked at me and said, because of the way you look, you will never be effective in any type of ministry. Okay, now look, I'm not a real violent person because I'm, I'm like 150 dripping wet, okay? I've never wanted to go punch somebody more in my life. I'm just going to be honest with you. And it hurt him. You know, we tend to do that as people. We tend to look on the outside. And Christ here is not saying, hey, do me a favor. Make sure you look the part. He said, make sure your heart is pure. Make sure your heart is pure. And look, we all do it, okay? We all do it. We, We look at people and we see things and we make judgment calls. But I love what Christ, or what God says when when Samuel is there in front of uh, Jesse's sons. He says, man looks at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. So it's a simple question. How pure is your heart? How pure is your heart? Because that's what Christ is saying here. You want to be blessed. You want to experience the blessing here. You want to allow that basically this takes place in your life. Make sure your heart's right. Make sure your heart is pure. Don't worry about your your tomb on the outside, making sure it looks good. 
Make sure that our hearts are right. And Jesus is talking about that, that inner moral purity. Inner moral purity. Next, Jesus talks about the peacemakers. Look at Matthew 5, 9. Okay? It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, this is an interesting one, okay? Because this is one that sometimes we get a little confused about and can miss what Jesus is saying. This is not describing those who live in peace, okay? But those who are actually bring about peace, overcoming evil with good, okay? If you're a peacemaker, you're not just living in peace, you're bringing about peace, okay? You're bringing about peace. You're actually actively involved bringing goodness and grace and mercy to situations. And this is important that we catch this. It's important that we understand here that Jesus, what Jesus is talking about. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.18. This is important. It says, all of this comes from God. All of this is from God, whom through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is it to be a peacemaker? It is to work in the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Our job, our ministry, is to be a peacemaker, is to come into those situations and bring forth restoration and and bring forth the fixing of them, not because of our great words or because of the things that we've said or done, but because of what Christ has done inside us. If you think of it this way, conflict is a battle. It's a problem. In our world today, we need peacemakers who will walk into schools and walk into families and walk into churches and basically come in and say, listen, we need to bring these things together. We need to fix these things with God's ideas in mind and allow him to come and restore back those things that have been broken, stolen, and destroyed. We love peace, don't we? Oh, you drive down the road. Bumper stickers everywhere. But are we really a peacemaker? You see, that's what Christ has called us to be. And here's what's great about that. Here's what's neat, okay? If you go back to the verse, can you go back one, Michelle, back to uh, the, the first? There you go, perfect. It says, for they shall be called sons of of God. Now, I was working on this this week and I was kind of putting this together and I was looking at kind of some of the different things that Jesus used as, as the blessing that goes a part of it. And it was interesting that this one, he calls us sons of God. Now, I immediately in my head went to this, this saying that I've said all the time, which is the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I love here that Jesus says, listen, if you're going to be a son, if you shall be called my son or my daughter or basically my kid... You're going to be a peacemaker. You're going to be a reconcili- bring reconciliation to situations and people and circumstances because that's what I do. That's how I operate. That's, as, you're going to be called one of my kids. You're going to have to act like my dad. You're going to have to act like the dad. And so Jesus here is saying, listen, you're going to be called my son when you begin to bring forth the reconciliation in people's lives that I've called you to bring about, which is great. And the final one. Those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Look at Matthew 5, 10 through 12. It says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed when you are, uh, when you 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and all other kinds of evil against your falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So, uh, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is interesting. Let's look at 1 Peter 4. In 1 Peter 4, 12. My notes keep falling. Uh, turn it over. 4, 12 through 16, it says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when, when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you shared Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. In this understanding, this very end, as we look at the end of of the Beatitudes here and this finish here in verse number 12, it's very interesting because it says rejoice and be glad. Literally, we could translate that phrase, rejoice and be glad, to say that the persecuted should leap for joy. Now, I, I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe you are better at this than I am. But when persecution comes, the last thing I'm doing is going, yay, so excited. Okay? But here, that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you should leap for joy when these things happen. When you begin persecuted, and listen, listen, it's kind of like what, what John was saying this morning. It's like, man, we're all going to have those days. We're all going to have those moments that just things just aren't good. They're not easy. They're not fun. Basically, what we're saying and what God is saying here is, listen, in those moments, leap for joy. Be excited because you have been counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Yeah, I don't know. That's a hard one. But like we talked about last week. All of these things are hard. We need Jesus to help us. But this idea of leaping for joy is a very, very um, clear understanding of how we should look at trials, how we should look at the things that, that come into our lives. Leaping for joy. If the worship team wants to come on up, we're going to close. And this is kind of how I wanted to close as we kind of... Um, look at these situations. You know, what's interesting about these things is... is Jesus kind of congratulates uh, all the, the people that the world pities. You know, we talked about this last week that Jesus is, is, is kind of, this is kind of his manifesto. It's kind of his, his, his really helping us to understand what we are to be and what we're to do. And, and, and it runs very, very counterculture to the world we live in today. I mean, you think about some of the things that Jesus looks at and says, listen, if you're this, if you're this, if you're this, most of these things were kind of like, man, I don't want that. that, That's not what I want to be. I'm not interested in being that type of person. And Jesus is like, listen, when you are that, I will take care of you. I'll help you. I'll bless you. Great things. I'll bring great things into your life. Some of them will be for today, and some of them maybe we won't see until eternity. But they will come. It's such an interesting thing because here Jesus is, is he's kind of tipsy-turvy and he's, he starts out his sermon by turning everything on its head. And what's interesting is Jesus continues that through his teaching. Not just in the Sermon on the Mount, but in other areas where he says, hey, listen, if, if you're going to live, you've got to die. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. 
And all these things, you get, it hits your head and you're kind of like, man, what? What do you mean? I don't understand. Because these are things that really come about when we look at and we let the culture of the world be more of an influence on us than the culture of Jesus. And here's the thing. As we go through this over the next several weeks, listen, you're going to have a hard time getting through this if you walk in this place with a culture mindset that's of the world. You are. One of the things that Jesus wants to do in you and in me through the Sermon on the Mount is to change our ideas of what we should be and how we should look at life. He's basically looking and saying, listen, man, if you're broken, if you're mourning, be glad. Be glad. There are some translations that if you look at the word blessed, you could translate it to the word happy. Be happy when these things, be happy when you're poor in spirit. Be happy. I mean, think about this. Jesus basically says, be happy when you're mourning. He's basically saying, listen, I want to take your understanding of everything and I want to go whoop. want to flip it and that's hard but we got to understand I remember when I was a kid and people would say this and I was always like huh but but this isn't our home you know I, I would have people say in my church growing up say well I'm I, I'm 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 just I'm just traveling through you know we weren't created for this culture. We were created with God's help to bring forth Christ's culture to a world that's dying and needs it. That's why Jesus said, like your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's our job. To understand this culture that Jesus is helping us understand and bring it to the world that desperately needs it. But here's the thing, we can't give what we don't have. We have to be it before we can share it. Not perfectly. God doesn't say, hey, listen, until you can do all these eight things perfectly without fail, then I'll use you. No, no, no. He uses us in the journey, thankfully, because we're all, if he, if he didn't, none of us could be used. But these are things that our Christian culture should be showing. So let's pray. Father, we come to you right now. And, and God, we're just going to ask as individuals to ourselves this question. Do, does our Christian culture, does our Christian character, does it show these things? Do we hunger and thirst after righteousness? Are we meek? Are we a peacemaker? Do we bring forth mercy, which I think now I forgot to bring up? I got a lot of notes. Are we that way? Do we show mercy because we've been given mercy? We've been given so much. Do we respond in kind? What does our life really look like? What does our character really look like? I love, Jesus, that you, you've looked at these things and you've not just said, hey, listen, I want you to be this way. You've attached blessings and promises to it 
you said, listen, hey, if you'll do this, I'll do this. And so, Father, I pray, not, not even for the sake of the promise, but for the sake of our own hearts, our connection to you, and our connection to others, that you would help us to live our lives this way. That we would bring about these things in the hearts and lives of first ourselves and then share that with a world that desperately needs it. We can't do it without you. We need you. So come and help us. Help us, God. We love you and we thank you.